This is the Thanks for Sharing podcast, the podcast where we explore all things recovery, healing, and relationship. Remember to subscribe and download episodes in the iTunes Store, the Google Play Store, or on the Podbean app. You can find more Thanks for Sharing at www.thanksforsharingpodcast.com or on Facebook at facebook.com slash healingpaths. That's paths with an S. Hello and welcome to the Thanks for Sharing podcast. I'm John T. And I'm Jackie P. Uh, this is kind of rare recently it's just jackie and i today yeah no guest speakers no guests so i think we're about done we don't have anything interesting to say and <laughs> it's been nice thanks yes. for listening no <laughs> um we we actually wanted to go back to i think the last episode that we recorded that was just the two of us was about sexism mm-hmm. um and we'd started talking about that um kind of in response and continuation of the national conversation that's been going around or about sexual assault mm-hmm. and secrets and boys club culture and all of right. that kind of stuff. Yes. Um, and we said at the end of that episode that it deserved another episode and mm-hmm. probably several more. And so we're going to circle back to that today. Yes. And we're going to talk a little bit more just about maybe our own personal experiences with sexism, with gender roles, with the, all of that stuff. We're going to, yeah. we're going to get personal. Yeah. Um, so a hybrid of a really hot button issue and story time with Jackie and John. So <laughs> this will be great. Um, I think one of the things for me <clears throat> since we recorded that and, um, you know, since the Harvey Weinstein stuff happened uh, several months ago, um, I think I've been hyper aware of just how ingrained sexism is for me as a white mm. privileged man. Um like I was, I was in a therapy session a couple weeks ago, and I was um, telling my female therapist all of the automatic, awful, uh, sexist thoughts that will come to my mind um, uh-huh. around money, around work, around all sorts of things. And I was telling her this as like, I can't believe that I feel this way, and I can't believe that I think this way. Uh-huh. Um, and I was, just, I just been thinking the last couple weeks about how in the DNA it feels. Um, to hold some of those views. Yeah. Um, well, and that takes me back to the interview that we did with our colleague, Dan Griffin, and mm-hmm. he, how he talks about water. his big thing is from David Foster Wallace. Is that his name? Yeah. Um, and talking about the water, right? And swimming in the water. And of course it's in our DNA, right? Of course we have these thoughts and beliefs that we haven't really even thought to question before. Yeah. Yeah. And it's really like, it's made me wonder how deep does it go? And is it actually something that can get unwound? Uh-huh. Um, I, I was sort of mostly just observing a Facebook post you had made yesterday, this article, uh, the, uh, the what about the what about men? What about Yeah. What about Um, and observing that conversation and uh, Mari Lee, who we had on the show a couple weeks uh-huh. ago, had commented, and you'd ask, like, how do we change this? And uh-huh. she's like, I don't have the time to give <laughs> right. us a real response. Um, but she talked about writing and talking and exposing and um, just a lot of going over this material again and again and again every time that it comes up. Yeah. Um, and that's kind of what I have felt like. Um, that's what I felt like the last few months is there's a lot of opportunities to look at this and there's a lot mm-hmm. of opportunities to see this from an angle that I haven't 
seen before mm-hmm. or feel this in a way that I haven't been able to feel it before. Mm-hmm. Well, I was sharing with you over the um, Christmas break, the holiday break I took um, that week between Christmas and New Year's I took off and I was reading a book that I'm part of a, a book club just in my neighborhood and it was the book that we're going to be discussing in January and it was, it's just a novel, you know, and and I like it. Um, I mean, it, it's kind of a darker than I think this group normally reads and kind mm-hmm. of hits on some stuff that they normally don't. One woman had kind of emailed us out. I don't, I don't know. <laughs> I wasn't at the one where the books were picked. And, and my first response was when this lady emailed out and was like, hey, I'm about halfway through. And are we sure we want to you know, continue this book? My first thought was, oh, I'm glad I didn't pick any books this year. Um, because that's usually the books that I pick. <laughs> They're like, ah! Anyway, so um, she, you know, we, we decided that, yes, we are going to finish the book, even though it's a little darker than what the the group normally reads. And, and I'm thinking about, as I was reading and have now finished the book, um, just anticipating kind of the conversation in January when we meet as a book club and it brings some angst up for me or some Mm. anxiety and this is a group of women who you would think could talk about sexism or me too or different things like that um in a safe way and yet I don't know that we can right and and just recognizing because I think it's so important to talk and to have conversations in our community and in our little groups that we're part of, that's what has to happen for this shift to occur, mm-hmm. right? For something different to come out of this, um, we need to be having these conversations over and over. And I think that's why, even though this started in October, we're still doing a podcast episode on, about it in January. We yeah. don't want the conversation to end. And yet I am having some, like, oh. Like, I don't know how those conversations are going to go in the book club. Mm -hmm. I kind of have an idea, and that's what's creating some anxiety Mm -hmm. for me, is we're not going to have those conversations. We're going to talk about this book, kind of, and then we'll catch up on each other's lives because it makes us uncomfortable. And so we don't – and that's kind of that article that I posted on my Facebook page yesterday about whataboutery is – that whole, it's a way to shift the conversation because we're uncomfortable. So then we say, well, what about, right? And and in this particular article, it was talking about, well, what about men? Mm-hmm. As a way to shift it away from the focus being on women. Or anything, you know, that if we're uncomfortable with the topic at hand, we go, well, what about this? As yeah. a way to shift it away so that we don't have to sit with that discomfort. And I think, like, I've, I've certainly... Uh, followed those whataboutery mm-hmm. trails and like have welcomed the distraction for the hard conversations. There's also been times where I haven't wanted to lead the conversation and then I felt like I felt like the person who can't let it go. Uh. Like a couple of months ago, um, probably every two or three months, my brother and my brother-in-law and I, we go out and we, we hang out for a night. Uh-huh. Usually way too much good food and go and do something fun and um, a couple months ago, uh, my brother used to work for a municipality here in Utah, and um, he was talking. He's since moved and worked. He works for another uh, city now, and um, he was talking about how toxic the culture was, and how like someone pretty high up in this city was um, abusive, like mm. 
verbally abusive. He'd gotten physically abusive mm-hmm. with um, a, a city employee. And um, he was talking about how the city was going to handle this. Um, and it was a it was a man, an older man, who had, I think he hit a female subordinate. Oh. Um, and apparently the incident that landed him in trouble with the city council was not the first incident. Oh, like, wow. it had been going on for a while. And so I have this vivid memory of the three of us sitting down. We're eating, we're eating burgers and we're talking about this. And... Um, I'm listening to this and I'm thinking like this is awful on on all fronts like people in the city have known what's been going on for a long time and they haven't uh-huh. said anything and my brother-in-law's response was well she's an idiot too for not saying anything mm. and I like I sit back in my chair and I looked at him for a minute and he went off on a while, for a while and he's like if she's not speaking up like she wanted that abuse and like on and mm. on and on and I found myself like, and, and obviously, you know, this is something that bothered me enough that seven months later, I'm thinking about, I want to go back and have that conversation, but uh-huh. I didn't in the moment because I felt like, like, what does that say about me or, or what, what, what kind of guy does that paint me as? As I'm like that, no, you're wrong. Like, do you realize how incredibly sexist that is what you just said? Right. That, um, she's an idiot to this victim uh-huh. of physical abuse in the workplace. A- and misinformed right. about abuse. Right. And it's, that was that was another one of those moments because on, on balance, I look at this brother-in-law. He's actually somebody that I really admire and I go to for advice. Uh-huh. Um, I think in most areas of his life, he's very grounded. He's pretty wise. Like um, I see him as a as a big brother. Uh-huh. Um, and and one of the ways that I've been rolling this around the last few months is, again, that like those biases live so deep. Um, and those prejudices live so deep that I think sometimes we don't even recognize when they're coming out and what it means when they're coming out. Right. Um, and so in those larger conversations, like keeping it focused on point, I've noticed for me, like that's a really hard thing to do because of everything that it connects to, not just for me, but for other people, uh-huh. like all the sore spots that that touches. Yeah. Well, and I would think, you know, I've been in situations not exactly like that, but similar conversations in which somebody's saying something and I I see either the racism or the sexism or the privilege that's inherent in that statement. And it I just get overwhelmed. Yeah. And I'm like, I don't even know how to start this conversation because it, if they're saying this, there's such a level of unawareness that. I don't know how to do this, right? Mm-hmm. And so I just say nothing, and then I regret that, and I usually go home, and I have the conversation for the next week, right, with yeah. myself. Um, but I usually regret not saying something. But it can be somewhat daunting when people say things, and, and you're aware that they really have no awareness about mm-hmm. this. So to say, like you were saying, do you realize how inherently sexist that is? you know, the response would typically be like, no, it's not. I'm not sexist. Mm -hmm. Right. And so first you've got to break down that piece of denial before you can get to anything bigger. Yeah. And, and I find myself sometimes I do just have that. um, I, I think it's just some courage. Like I've had conversations recently in which I'll just say, well, that's just not true. Right. And, and I don't, spend a whole lot of time trying to explain that. I'll just be like, well, you know, I'll say like, well, that's a really sexist perspective or, you know, um, 
like particularly for me, it's it's a pet peeve, but probably bigger than a pet peeve. It's it's really kind of one of those things that just rubs me the wrong way when somebody will be talking about a female, and they will say like, "I just hate the sound of her voice." Mm-hmm. Right to me, that it just I just get activated myself in inside of that and so I was actually talking to one of my brothers and who who was telling me and was just saying like well I just hate the sound of her voice so I would never read that book because I hate the sound of her voice and I was just like that is a very sexist thing to say and he was like no it's not and I was like actually that's not true it is very sexist and if you can't see that you might need to look at that and just and I didn't really have much more of a conversation with him, right? Yeah. That it felt good to just be like, that's not true. That's denial. And I'm not really going to spend all of my energy and effort breaking it down and proving this to you because that feels very sexist too, mm-hmm. to have to prove your sexism as a male to a female. And so it was just like, yeah, that's not true. Yeah. And be done with that. And as, I, as I'm listening to that, the thing that comes up for me is this like, where and why do we speak up? Mm-hmm. Like, what's what's our responsibility, um, and who do we have that responsibility for? Mm-hmm. Like, I think as a white heterosexual male, like, um, the the deck is generally stacked in my favor. Like, there's not a lot for me to complain about. Mm. Um, and sometimes, like, like honestly, this whole <laughs> I don't want to say this whole mansplaining phenomenon, like it just started, but that word mm-hmm. mansplaining, like that's relatively new. Um, I don't know what's mansplaining and I don't know what's advocating. Mm. Um, I, I don't know what's like asking genuine questions or being like, well, because I'm the informed, right. compassionate male here, like, let me bless you all with my knowledge. Right. Um, well, I typically think kind of my rule of thumb is if it's because women can women too, but if it's the if the person who we would be explaining this about is present, Mm -hmm. then we need to listen Mm. and we need to back up what they're saying, Mm -hmm. right? We don't need to explain it for them. Mm -hmm. So if as a white female, if a female of color is explaining her perspective, I don't explain the female of color perspective for her right? because I'm not right. But I may say, you know what? She makes some really valid points. And I agree with this. And how could I know? Because I'm not that and neither are you, right? Mm-hmm. So then I can use my position to make her voice louder yeah. or more valid. Um, but I'm not going to make her voice more valid by making it my voice. Yeah. Right? So I think if, if you're in a group of other white men, I don't know that that's mansplaining. Right. But if you're in a group and you're one of the men, but there's several women, probably getting the women to engage and and however you do that, but letting them know you can speak up because I'll validate you. Yeah. And I'm clearing a path for your voice to be heard. Yeah. And that's such, as I look at our culture, I think there are so many, I think there are so many people who are in a position to speak to their experience like uh-huh. they've had experience with sexism they've had experience with racism they've been very negatively impacted by it they are currently being negatively impacted by it um and they're in a position to speak and i i look at that like bystander phenomenon mm-hmm. um 
how I don't necessarily know the psychology of this, but how um, it's really hard for for a bystander to become a participant in a situation where they may be able to intervene. You know, mm-hmm. like you hear mm-hmm. those stories of people witnessing um, a mugging that ends in somebody's death, and everybody just walks by. Right. Like they right. don't stop and they don't intervene and they don't help. Um, and I think that's a place where a lot of us stand in relation to this issue. Mm-hmm. Is this like? Um, as long as this keeps happening over there, mm-hmm. I don't have to get involved. Or, you know, I saw at the beginning, kind of right before the new year, I saw a lot of posts people were saying, like, you know, like, I mean, 2017 was a rough year and there was a lot of conflict, various conflicts that were happening in the United States about different social issues and as well as other things. But I saw a lot of people who were saying, like, I just want to step away from that. And I just want, and I kept, like, and sometimes I did speak up and I would say, that's privilege. Mm -hmm. Like, the fact that you can say, I don't want to talk about that Mm -hmm. in 2018, right? That was too much for me in 2017. And I want 2018 to be free of that. Well, aren't you lucky that, that you can be, be yeah. that free of that, right? Because there's a lot of people who don't have that fortune. Mm-hmm. And you need to recognize that that's privilege to say, you know what, I don't want to care about that. I just, I'm really glad that it's football season and I can get into that. Mm-hmm. And, and we're bugged that the football season last year became connected with social issues, Right. And they're like, why are you tainting my my football with your just, social issues? I just want you to be big bodies that hit each other <laughs> right? and score touchdowns. I just need you to entertain me. <laughs> and now you're having to make me think. Yeah. And again, I just I, I think recognizing that privilege that no being neutral is a privilege and not a privilege that benefits our communities. Yeah. Well, and, and as you're talking about the the NFL protests um and and that i think that being that person who is a disruptor Uh or can be disruptive in that like i'm not going to be quiet about this anymore or when the issue presents itself i'm going to say something Mm -hmm. that's a really uncomfortable place to be Mm -hmm. um like to to draw some analogies i i see I see a very similar situation that a lot of uh, a lot of the addicts and just people in general that we work with they're in this same situation in their families in their systems they are a disruptor uh-huh. um, and one of the most common f- pieces of feedback I hear people coming back to my office uh, with people in their relationships uh, they'll say this person will say I miss the old you mm. or could you just go back to when you weren't so angry. Mm. Or when you weren't so boundaryed or, or this. I think that uh, being dis- a disruptor is a difficult, um, is a really difficult place to be. Mm-hmm. And, and actually before the Me Too movement and that, um, I don't think there was a critical mass of disruptors. You know, you'd get this string of disruptors that um, would actually just succeed at making life hell for themselves. Right. And not really affect anything in the big picture until we got one after another after another higher profile and uh-huh. higher profile. Um, and I, I've really appreciated watching that movement and seeing what can happen when we all step up to the plate and take responsibility for our part in it. Yeah. Um, rather than waiting and hoping that that gets fixed somewhere outside there. Uh-huh. Um, you know, like, again, to reference Dan Griffin's analogy to the, the water that he uses a lot. Um 
if we live in the water, the water is part of us. And what happens over there in the water, we can't say it's disconnected from us. Right. Um, but I, I think, uh, I don't know what I think. That's what I think. <laughs> well, I was also, you and I have done some training and just... Um, learning about the various generations, mm-hmm. right? So right now we have the silent generation who is dying out, but we still have them alive, right? They may not be um, holding a lot of prominent positions, but... The, this is the folks between Depression era and World War II, like greatest yes, generation. Yes, And then after them, we've got the baby boomers, which most people are familiar with. And that's kind of, you know, from what, 40, 46 or something, something like yeah. that to... It's, mid 60s right Mm -hmm. and then you've got (coughs) gen xers who's the next generation that would be my generation so like mid 60s down to when does millennial start millennial starts like 81 okay so you know from from the so these are the kids of the 70s and 80s you know and then millennials start 80s and go to like early 90s right and then we've got this new generation that t- hasn't completely been um, named yet, but right now we're I think we're calling them the I generation, mm-hmm. right? Because they're they're the generation that their life they've grown up with smart technology. Mm-hmm. So that's kind of the generations, and and then we also know um, what happens on our planet and how that impacts that generation and has something to do with right and and again we're painting this with a broad brush like it doesn't apply exactly to everybody of that generation but i think you know right now it's a popular thing to kind of blame millennials for what's going on or to worry about and gripe about millennials and when the reality is the millennials are just coming into any type of power Mm -hmm. i mean a, a lot of them don't have a lot of power yet and I think we've got to look back on, and I'm making a point here, I'll get to it, um, <laughs> but kind of looking at maybe what happened with the silent generation and then what happened with the baby boomers and what needs to be happening with Gen Xers and then millennials. And I, I credit millennials with kind of adding to the, the generation, the X generation, in making some of the shift that we're seeing now. Yeah. Because I think you've got the silent generation who just, they didn't really think much, right? They I mean, were they, they may have been, it, yes, they may have been intelligent people, but what had happened in their lifetime, they were much more like if somebody in authority says something, we do it mm-hmm. and we don't ask questions, right? So the likelihood of, them making significant change on social issues just wasn't going to happen. Mm-hmm. And then you had the baby boomers, and there's they are a lot, like there's a lot of them mm-hmm. because the boom, right, after following the war. But So then you have the baby boomers who, you know, people are saying are somewhat, again, not everybody in that generation fits this, but are a somewhat narcissistic and some will say a somewhat sociopathic generation. You know, it was interesting. I heard something um, about the baby boomer generation that kind of illustrates that. So a lot of them followed the hippie movement uh-huh. until, um, you know, they aged out of that in college. And then they were corporate raiders, like mm. total flip in the philosophy there. Uh-huh. And they had the luxury to do that. Right. Like, 
it can be about peace and love when you want it to be about peace and love, and then it can be about making a corporate killing when you need to make a corporate killing. Right. They had a lot of opportunities. Well, and they benefited from a lot of the post-war programs that were there that made it possible to maybe, you know, have dad who goes to work and mom stay at Mm -hmm. home or, you know, to afford, to be able to have a one income, a nice house, um, you know, to get some of the modern appliances at that of that age group, also to pay for your kids to go to college and to afford nice vacations, mm-hmm. right? And that really hasn't happened at other time periods in the U.S. Um, but so in that way, we also know that they they aren't really good. They aren't known for listening. Yeah, they aren't known for perspective taking. Right, some of those things that are needed to make a big shift, that generation just didn't really learn about that. Mm-hmm. Like it was, they are. I mean, they're the baby boom generation, but they very much are kind of a me generation. Yeah, and and I think that can happen for so long before the pendulum swings another mm-hmm. direction. And my hope is that this is what's happening. That there's. A monumental shift happening, not just a temporary shift and then business as usual. And and the great thing about this shift is it, it this is not like some cosmic shift that is happening. Right. That like, oh, the energy's over here, so we've got to go there. Like this is something that people are making happen. Right. And people are contributing to. Well, and I think that's one of the I think Gen Xers came along and were kind of like, I, I just don't really like that whole it's true because I said it's true, doesn't really work for Gen Xers, right? And they kind of took this more skeptical stance towards the baby boomers. And then millennials came along who were very much like, I want to understand, I want to know, like, they very much don't just because I said so. Like, that doesn't work for them. And I think that momentum added to some of, you know, the stance that Gen Xers were taking created the shift, right? I mean, the the shift we're seeing it, it, and it's hard to say what actually broke it open to what we saw in the fall. Yeah. Or what we saw in 2017, I should say. Yeah. Um, Because, you know, at the beginning of 2017, we had the Women's March, which was the largest Women's March we've ever seen in the history of the U.S. Mm -hmm. Um, I think we saw some shifts for the LGBT population. You know, that was coming on the heels of the Black Lives Matters that Moore started yeah. in 2016, right? It's hard to say what was all going to meet at this crossroads yeah. together to shake things up enough that something monumental could happen. So I want to put a call out here to our our listeners um, and, and also to, to us as we're hosting this and kind of thinking about shows in the future. Um, I want to hear your stories in relation to these kind of movements uh-huh. from, you know, 2016 through 2017, now into 2018. Like, how have you been impacted? Um, I think when we talked with Alex Kedhakis a couple of shows ago, um, we talked about what it must feel like to be those uh, pr- predominantly men on the side of like, when is the shoe going to drop for me? Uh-huh. Um, if you're one of those people, we want to know your story too right this is an impact on you the way that our society is changing and i think that's again when we well because we need men right right. we need good men who stand up and say i've done things i'm not proud of 
And and when we talked about this in the the first uh, sexism episode, I think we we said something like we all have a responsibility to carry this conversation forward, uh-huh. um, and and we all have a responsibility to not let this let this die out. So. Um, at, at the end of this episode, we want to put out a call to our listeners, and we'll put this up on our Facebook page too. We want to hear from you about how the last couple of years have been impacting you when it comes to sexism, when it comes to race, when it comes to gender, when it comes to inequality, uh-huh. um, all of those things. We, we want to hear what your experience right. is with that. Because this isn't a black or white either or. Right? It, it's a both and mm-hmm. conversation, and there are many phases of this conversation. And it's, it's not something that the professionals or the celebrities or the writers or the thinkers, it's not something that they are just noticing and conceptualizing. Like, this is something right. that touches everybody every yeah. day. Well, and I want to add as a female who's had a voice in this uh, podcast episode that it, it's not like I'm unaware that females also add to the sexual dynamic and some of the sexual harassment that happens at the workplace. Um and so this isn't a, again, this isn't a men are the bad people, women are the victims. That's not always the case, right? And and we have to look at how, how females can also be sexist. Mm-hmm. And, and, and that's real. I shared with you kind of before we hit record that this book that I was reading for this upcoming book club, you know, it, it has a strong female, like she's she's the main character in this story. Um, and throughout the book, she's showing herself as capable and knowledgeable and strong and wise and all of this kind of stuff. And, and so she's going, um, you know, you're kind of getting to the climax of the book and she takes a male with her to go. It's called the child finder. And she's going to rescue this child who's been abducted and they're in the backwoods of Oregon and the male gets caught in a animal trap. Right. And when I hear that part of the story, my initial thought was, oh, shit, we're screwed. Like, right. (laughs) It's over. She can't do this. (laughs) That's my sexism as well. That's like, well, if she doesn't have this brute male game warden to barge into the cabin, she can't do it. Yeah. Right. And she does. And at the end, I was like, I was so glad. Right. That. She was strong throughout the whole story, and she got to finish strong. Mm -hmm. And it was my sexist attitude that popped up there that was like, oh, well, she better take a man. (laughs) And then when the man get caught, I'm like, yeah, we're screwed. (laughs) End of it, right? She's probably going to die. Nice knowing you. (laughs) Nice knowing you. So we're excited to hear from you, and you can uh, message us on Facebook. Our Facebook page is Healing Paths, Inc., or you can send us an email at thanksforsharingpodcast at gmail.com. At the end of this episode, we want to remind you that your story matters. Remember, there's something meaningful in every chapter. Don't wait to share your story till it's finished. You can share your story with us on our Facebook page, Healing Paths, Inc., or on our website, www.thanksforsharingpodcast.com. This podcast is solely for the purpose of information and entertainment and does not constitute therapy, nor should it replace competent professional help. At the end of another episode, we want to remind you that nobody has time for perfection. We are pursuing progress. And remember the prayer of the perfectionist. Help me remember I can't do it all. Help me to take things one step at a time and that the only step I need to focus on is the next right step for me. Help me to remember that life is a journey. Help me to be able to separate all that I am learning from all that I have to do. Help me to remember that I am not alone, that I can ask for help. 
Help me to strive for frequent awakenings, not mastery. I am enough. Amen.